On this week's episode of the Better Managers Briefing, Anne Franker is joined by Jackie Stevenson, a CMI companion and CEO and founding partner of the award-winning agency Brooklyn Brothers. Jackie is also the former president of Wackel, Women in Advertising and Communication Leadership. So you're in the um, uh, communications industry. You know how how has that sector weathered COVID? How how has your business weathered COVID? And what particular challenges and opportunities have you faced? And have you dealt? How have you dealt with them? Oh my goodness! I mean, it's certainly been a, a challenging 16 months, um, as it has for everyone, and a and a real kind of huge roller coaster. But um, as you kind of say, it's it's also been an incredible learning opportunity. And I think I think for us, I mean, we're a creative agency. We're we're, we're a business that thrives on our creative ideas. And and the first challenge was really a human one, and and how we supported and motivated our people. Um, Creativity and creative thinking thrives on confidence and security and positivity. And and that was like in such short external supply over the last 12 months particularly. So how we created that atmosphere internally and kept the team together and running as a tight pack was just so, so important. I mean, like many um, managers, we invested in communication and and over-communicating. But but we quickly realised how important full transparency and honesty was. Um, I think one of the things that we've all found is how much isolation breeds uncertainty. And when you're sitting in your kitchen, like I am, or your bedroom, um, and, and you're a team that's used to being together and in a constant buzz of a busy office and finding out news as they bump into each other in the coffee shop or sitting with us on sofas, which we have all over our office, you know, I think I think they were really missing that and, and, and finding it hard to just keep plugged in. So creating low pressure moments where we could just be together as a team and chat was so, so important and, you know, something we've talked a lot about, how as a leadership team we could show real vulnerability and explain that things were uncertain and and share plans and invite dialogue was just so, so important. And what's been great actually is out of these sessions, the team came up with an idea for a whole new department at at Brooklyn Brothers. Um, At Brooklyn Brothers, we like to keep it simple. Um, We have people who make it up, people who make it happen, and people who make it famous. Um, We've now also got a new internally focused team of people who make it happy. Um, The Make It Happy team's sole purpose is to look for ways to alleviate daily pressures that that everyone faces um, and to make working life at Brooklyn feel light and enjoyable. And, And they've been introducing things like Brooklyn Blue Zones, um, which is a time, a blue time you can block out in your diary, which is time just for you where you can have a walk or maybe do a bit of online yoga or eat with the family. And it's time that everyone respects. So it's not like, oh, you're off having a walk. It's like, oh, you're in the blue zone. Right. Okay, we get that. Um, I think Make It Happy will stay as a a big part of of Brooklyn going forward. Um, The second thing, though, was really, really hard was forecasting. And and I'm sure everyone has found that, um, both in terms of business and and the brands we were working with. Um, We were really fortunate as so much of our business is digital. So transitioning more customers online, keeping high brand engagement from social and web content were areas our clients were heavily investing in. So overall, I think we fared better than most. But the unpredictability of the market and the way our clients' businesses were responding was hugely interesting. I mean, for example, um, two of our clients in the same category 
with the same product almost targeting the same consumer segment did exactly opposite things oh, wow. um, one immediately one, one, did one work and one not yeah <laughs> <laughs> well I, i've got i've got my own views on that but they haven't shared the figures with me yet but but what, what one cut paid media spend by 90 percent to protect margin and plowed that back into operations Mm -hmm. um, and the other saw competitors exiting and saw it as an opportunity and increased paid media spend to gain share at less cost. Now, now this taught us two things. I mean, the first, that we couldn't rely on our forecasts. <laughs> um, but the second was that the importance of board-ready commercial blueprints for marketing that track long-term as well as short-term effectiveness was so important for CMOs. Uh, and we had to think about our role to help them create that. Um, because so many businesses we saw that were saying they were customer-led became operationally led so quickly as chaos started. And secondly, well, well, I was just going to say it's, it's, it's interesting because in the past there has been research done that companies that invest in communication in times of crisis fare better in the long run than companies that dramatically cut spending to protect margin. Um, so, you know, without wanting to prejudge the outcome, um, um, that may be the case in your situation. Who knows? Um, I, think, I think it's I think it's so true. And, and I think, you know, conversely, you know, after preaching about measurements and blueprints, I think also business creativity was the second thing that we found that was so important, because I think so many businesses have profited from not doing things in the old way and maybe not going through the old modes of pressure testing things, just jumping in and trying it and i think we've all been trying things so quickly and that's just been rocket fuel for certainly for our business and, and, and so many businesses that we've been working with well that's great um i mean you know you are a brand and communications expert and how do you think uh, COVID has changed how um consumers expectations and interactions with their brands are and how those brands interact with consumers yeah i think i think that um i mean before COVID, the way consumers were interacting with brands was just changing so rapidly. But COVID and the pandemic has really turbocharged this. And, and I think also made communications more of a board priority. And there are so many changes, but I'm just going to focus on, on two that I think are interesting. Um, the first is a complete redefinition of bricks and clicks and the way that they work together. Um, undoubtedly, the increase in time consumers are spending with brands online has kind of heightened dissatisfaction with bad interfaces or complicated user experiences. But the way that brands are choosing to use real life as we all go back versus online experience and redefine their real estate is, is so, so important. Um, I mean, I'm going back into shops now. I couldn't wait. I'm, I'm sure you're doing the same. Um, but, but consumers that we're seeing are coming back in and they're disappointed with the old experiences that they're being presented with. Um, the product choice is lower in store than online. Not all sizes and brands are stocked. You have to carry stuff out of the shop when you've bought it, which is something that I, I've forgotten to do. But it's like, yeah, if I buy it, I have to carry it. And, and everyone is still craving kind of in-life experiences, but they're going in there with lots of different missions. You know, I, I want to be inspired. I, I want to talk to somebody knowledgeable about some online research I've been doing. I want to be entertained. Um, this is a huge, huge opportunity for brands who are smart and can move quick and, and link that online and offline together in a completely new way. 
Um, so I think that's kind of one one area. Is there anybody that you have seen doing that really well, or any brand that you want to share? Yeah, I, I think the fashion brands are doing this really well. Um, I think you know uh, the brands that were born online, um, like the Matches and 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 the the Netta Porters, um, who who haven't really had to think about um, offline, have really stolen the march. And I know that you know Matches um, uh, new fashion house. Um, is stealing a lot of share from Selfridges because women are coming in, they've done their pre-select, they've got their stylist and they've got this wonderful experience. But I don't think um, just because that's high-end fashion, that should be different for, 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 for other retailers. I think Boots, for instance, has a huge opportunity to really help us understand better all these amazing things that they have in the aisles. Um, and that experience is just a bit deflating when you go in now. It's just like reams and reams and reams of, 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 of aisles. And actually experience and test and play should, should be a big part of that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. Now, There's just one more actually I wanted to kind of get yeah. your, your view on as well, which is, is um, reputation and purpose. And, and, and we're finding that, that these things are, are being debated a lot, but are coming all together. Um, I mean, there's been so much discussion about, you know, things like should a soft drinks company be trying to change the world or should they just be trying to make a great soft drink? And at the other end of the scale, you've got kind of um, uh, measurement marketeers focused on brand saliency and sales versus PR and comms focused on reputation. We found COVID of bringing these two things much more closely together. Consumers want to know about the people behind the products. They want yes. to know the provenance, the working practices. And rather than this just being a retrospective crisis exercise, like Brewdog, um, who have like yeah. in their female chairwoman, um, this is something that's becoming much more proactive in a marketeer's tool set. Um, and we're finding that brands are creating stories that, that, that go way beyond just push communication. They want them to be reported on. Um, and company leaders are almost becoming influencers in their own right. And I think this is such an interesting change that's been pushed by the pandemic. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, what, what consumers are expecting is authenticity from their brands. So, you know, you mentioned, uh, you did mention BrewDog. No point being a cool craft beer if you've got a bad culture, right? You know, and, and, and I think that um, consumer expectations... Um, have increased and employee voice has increased and both employees and consumers are demanding you know better better cultures better treatment um better values uh, so i i agree with you I've, i think that is absolutely something and it's a good thing um marketeers can find stories in there as well they, it doesn't have to just be external and i think this is something that we're going to see more of yeah, I'm sure you're right. Well, now, obviously, when you, as part of your WACL presidency, you and I worked together a lot and you, on uh, the gender pay gap, we campaigned to get it reinstated. And COVID has disproportionately impacted women. And I know you are a huge advocate and did a lot of work, have done a lot of work um, with WACL on all of those things. So I need to ask you, okay, what do employers, government and individuals need to do to ensure we emerge moving forwards, not backwards on gender diversity. And, um, you know, obviously maybe some of those are applicable to, to ethnic diversity, but what are your thoughts? 
Oh, oh, definitely. And I mean, we, 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 we've talked long and hard about, about this. And I think, you know, focusing on diversity in businesses and teams and making it a measurable priority is just so, so important. Um, I mean, we all know the stats that a truly diverse business is going to deliver up to 30% more productivity. But we're also seeing these awful stats that are coming through with headlines like working mothers as sacrificial lambs in the coronavirus crisis and how the pandemic is widening the pay gap and setting back a quality decades, particularly in the boardroom. But, but, but the thing that's really worrying me and, and worrying all of us at Wackle is when you start looking at intersectionality as well, and you layer in years of inequality around ethnicity and sexuality and ability, the stats are just, are just getting worse. Um, so what's been, I think, really encouraging during the pandemic is how readily businesses are engaging with topics and signing up with charters and codes and talking about the importance of diversity. And, and that's really, really encouraging. But the recent survey we've done in our industry is showing that that talk isn't pulling through into tangible action. Talking the talk doesn't equal walking the walk. Um, and to quote the suffragettes in a line we often use at Wackle, we're now looking for deeds, not words. And I think you know, there's, there's, there's a number of places we can look at this. You know, we need to think about working policies. We know that flexible working is one of the greatest retention tools that a business has. And, and the war for the talent post-pandemic is just going to be huge. Um, but we need to think through how this can actually be implemented at every level and how we can really genuinely empower teams to curate and create working practices that can allow them to thrive. You know, we need to think about office environments and how they can change to better foster flexible team working. For instance, at Brooklyn, we've got rid of all of our individual desks now. It's just workspaces and we're converting our conference rooms into places that you can have on and offline dual meetings. But in LA, our parent company has gone one further and they've got rid of their office space altogether. And they're using the money to rent kind of WeWork style hubs all around the city so that people can work closer in their neighborhoods and they can bring clients to different environments, whether that's down in Santa Monica or up in Hollywood. And it's just really interesting the way that they're actually doing that. Mm. And I think in that hiring policies as well, I think we just can't rely on recruitment companies to be our diversity you know, input. Um, we've got to find new ways of recruiting talent. And at Brooklyn Brothers, we set up a thing called Night School, where we brought in talent from uh, recently graduated talent from inner city colleges um, or, or talent that were just about to graduate. And we gave them eight weeks of training as to how to build a brand. And we made the brand them. So at the end of the day, they then had something packaged up they could use to promote themselves. We got every single one of them individual jobs in the industry. And we've got two of them still with us in Brooklyn. And they're powerhouses. Um, I mean, they're, they're, they're speaking truth to CEOs everywhere. And we would never have found them if we'd have gone through kind of traditional ways of recruiting. What a great program and what um, a great thing to do. And I love all your tips about, you know, getting rid of the desks and um, actually uh, the, the, the story about getting rid of the office altogether. We're all facing those questions, aren't we? Um, but, you know, on that topic of trends in the world of work, um, you've mentioned some of them. You know, you you obviously seem to think COVID's going to shift them. And, um, and, and where are you on that hybrid working uh, debate because actually I was talking to somebody just yesterday who was saying that actually six months ago the world was all about oh remote working and hybrid working forever but 
that she said that she felt that now that things were calming down a little bit, that was reverting and slipping back and that more there was more expectation of, nope, you got to be in that office if you're going to get ahead. Um, so where do you stand on that dilemma and what do you think we should do? Yeah, I think I think I think it's um, a really important topic, but it kind of for me reverses into a, a bigger, broader topic, which is empowerment at work and how um, we can be servants of our teams to curate the places and spaces our teams want to work. And I recognise that in our industry, it's about brain work and creativity and freedom. So it, it's slightly easier to be able to say curate the way you want to work, and we're going to open an office space to allow you to work when you want to work in the office and you can work from home whenever you want to. Um, other industries find that harder, but I think really uh, enabling um, employees now to be able to make that choice and curate the way they want to work is, is not just important, it's imperative. Because I think the bigger thing that, that we're facing into now is going to be a war for talent. Um, we've all been thinking a lot personally and professionally in the pandemic about our priorities our boundaries and, and the way we want to live our lives and, and none more so than Gen Z. Um, in our business in the States, we're actually struggling to keep Gen Z in work. Um, they've saved up money for the last 12 months and they want to go out to Mexico and, and be free for a bit. And I mean, you kind of you kind of understand it, but, but business needs talent. It needs young talent to keep thinking fresh and design the products and services and the workplaces of tomorrow. And, and Gen Z and a certain cohort of millennials are just opting out. They just don't want to work in the same ways anymore. And so many are just voting with their feet. And, and it's interesting because just paying them more money won't work. They're looking for organisations that understand the importance of the work-life balance and that family life is as important as corporate life and, and working practices can make working life fun and light and energising and enjoyable. Um, and that's fascinating to me, the big tech companies and the way they're doing this, because they seem to be offering huge stock options in exchange for long hours and pressure. So it's almost like work intensely for us doing nothing else for a short period, set yourself up for the future and then kick back. But I, I, I just don't think that's sustainable and it isn't the answer for many businesses. So I think we've got to... We've got to radically think differently the way we work and how we interact with each other. And, and this has to come from leadership. And, and I've got two anecdotes that I just want, want to share with you. One is a woman in advertising who I was talking to um, in senior management who's just about to start a new family with her partner. And her fiancé was, um, uh, was, uh, got a really great paternity package from his finance company. Um, but he's not going to take it. And, and I was saying to her, look, why, why are you going to take the bulk of the maternity? Why is he not going to take his maternity? Um, and she said he's paranoid he's going to be passed over for promotion. If he right. takes the maternity, he'll be passed over. Mm -hmm. um, and one slightly ridiculous one, but important nonetheless, is um, uh, George, my, my business partner, went into a big corporate office. And there was a huge pool table in the middle of it and a huge football table and, and nobody was using it. And so he said, look, anyone fancy a game of pool? Um, and he was told that the last guy seen playing pool in the office got made redundant. Um, so everyone, everyone was frightened to use it. Now, you know, we can put these policies and in, initiatives in place, but, but if we as leaders aren't encouraging our male team members 
to take paternity leave or, or work flexibly so they can enjoy more family life. And if we're putting new ideas into workplaces and spaces and demonstrating the work-life balance, but not using them ourselves and encouraging our teams to do the same. We're, yeah, or, or getting people that use them, right? I completely get that. Those are great anecdotes. Thanks for sharing them. It's, it, it comes down to what you were saying, you know, um, walking that talk right if you have these things make it okay to use these things that's so important and that's culture right it's how we lead how we behave but you know you you're yourself are a leader and a really great leader i think and um what have you learned about yourself during covid and what advice would you give to our viewers as to um how best they can thrive in these difficult times I think that the first thing is is active listening versus just listening. I think often we think as leaders that we listen, but but what we're doing is we're listening for spaces where we can put our arguments. <laughs> and active listening is 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 so so important. Just spending time with no agenda, talking to to people, talking to clients finding out how they're feeling, finding out what's happening in their lives. There's just so much more you can learn when you actively listen and you just let the conversation flow. And that's been something, you know, I just check in with my teams now, just pop up in in, in their teams and have a chat or just get a coffee in. You know, now we're, we're partly back in the office and, and it's been so important. Um, I think the second is the need to have a plan but be ready to change that plan really quickly when change happens around you. I mean, campaigning Wackle was a great example of that, wasn't it? Where we were really heading into flexible working and, and then suddenly the government decided to spend pay gap reporting. So we were like, right, pivot. <laughs> let's get let's get on to pay gap reporting. It's important. Um, and I think the third thing, um, which kind of goes back to the previous question is, knowing yourself and, and how to build your own personal resilience. And that isn't by just working more. Um, mine is the energy and the creativity I get from competitive ballroom dancing. And it's not necessarily the co competitions. It's just the practice, the practice, the dancing, the floor. It takes me out of work. It's the regularity. I get energy from it. And just being completely out of the workspace. And 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 that's my Brooklyn blue zone. You know, I now put that in. I, I need to dance. I need to prioritize in it. And it it builds my resilience. And I think knowing that as a leader, what builds yours is is so important. So that top tip from Jackie is keep on dancing, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, let's take some questions. Our first one is from Stephen. Can you see the end for town centers as we know them with shops online or out of town and the center once again becoming a location for living accommodation? Yeah, that's that's such a, um, a, a, a great question. And I think that um, we are definitely going to see town centers changing. But I think that um, brands have a real opportunity to do more, to showcase other parts of their brand through those that real estate. So it doesn't need to be rows and rows of aisles anymore, but it could be things that um, uh, companies are doing in the community. It could be ways of showcasing different parts of their brands. Um, we're working with McDonald's currently, um, and one of the initiatives is around community. So I'm hoping we're gonna be seeing soon 
different ways of using stores. I think, you know, Starbucks started this a bit, but I think there's so much more opportunity for so many more brands to do that. So I think there's definitely going to be more of a blend, but I don't want brands just to retreat and go, well, actually, no, we're just going to do the same thing we did here, but over in these huge warehouses. I think that would just be such a crying shame. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a really good point. Um, so next question is from Naomi. The blue zone sounds great. How are you approaching the move to hybrid working? Any hints or tips? Yeah, I think um, dialogue and conversation is is really, really important. And, and, and that point I made earlier about being honest and vulnerable, because none of us have got the answers. We've not done this before. So we're currently looking at um, one day where we're saying to everyone, we'd encourage you to be in the office. We as a management team will be in the office. We'd love you to be in the office with us. Um, and then we're letting Tuesday and Thursday be completely free and flexible. Um, so everyone can come in if they want to or, or work from home if they don't. And then nobody was really coming in on Monday or Friday. So we're actually now going to close the office again on Monday and Friday. And the money we save in cleaning, electricity, we're going to pump into a big summer party. <laughs> because actually... Being together in downtime is is really really important. Now you know that's that we've got the luxury of that. We're a business of sub 100 people. You know we're 90 people, so it's easier to do that. You know if we were a corporation of, of over a thousand, that would be harder. But I think the principle's the same. I think try and be as flexible as possible, and and just try things out and and see what the feedback is from the team. Yeah, no, I think that's a a a, a great approach, and um. Um, and I and I want to just check in before we go to Neil's question. So, what's your? How are you handling the the vax not vax discussion in bringing those people together? Yeah, that, that's a that's a great question, and I, I have to be honest, we haven't come to a conclusion yet in in Brooklyn Brothers, and we were um, the Wackle team were out last night. Actually, we were debating this 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 very thing. Um, I think we are going to encourage as many people as possible to get vaccinated. Obviously, it's a personal choice. You know, I have my own personal views on it, and got vaccinated as soon as I possibly could. Um, and then we're gently going to introduce the fact that if you want to be in the office and you want to be in the office post Christmas you really do need to be vaccinated because I think it's really unfair for people who've done that to then be in an office space with, with, with people who haven't. But it's a very, very sensitive topic. And I think particularly in the in the creative industries where we thrive on freedom of choice and freedom of speech, we have to be able to allow people to be free to do what they want and, and, and act on their own instincts but I think vaccination is one that, and vaccination passports is one that's slowly and slowly going to close. And we're going to help encourage as many of our team to do that. And you see that popping up in other places as well. Um, uh, you know, that closing down on that. But let's go to Neil's question. Um, which brands have, in your opinion, flourished most through the pandemic and what has set them apart? So you mentioned fashion brands, but any other brands? I think it's really I think it's really interesting. I think the automotive industry is a is, is, is a fascinating one because you know that that's an industry that many people have said has been a bit slow to uh, to be online rather than offline. And I think you know with everything really moving so quickly online through the pandemic, 
for some brands, it's really helped. and For others, it's really hindered. So I think, you know, I would say this, wouldn't I? Mini is one of our clients. But I think Mini, Mini has flourished so well in this because one of the things that the MD, David George, was really um, keen to do was simplify things online. So it wasn't complicated. And, and, and buying a car can be really complicated. And, and the whole team focused on simplicity and that you that clarity of user experience and and you see that in categories um uh, across every across every area some brands it's just a joy to interact with them online it's so easy and other brands make it so difficult and i think that that that's one area i think the second thing is empowering um uh networks and franchises to be able to curate and deliver the service in the way that they want to and I think you know many of the dealerships have started to embrace online much more in terms of delivery of product so rather than you having to come into the showroom to pick up a new car it, they will actually deliver it to your home um, and they will take you around it and answer any questions and you know again that just seems like outlandish for networks previously but, but, but the pandemic's forced them to do that and yeah. and actually it's a really good thing and I think companies that have, have done that and have seen changes where they really are becoming customer centric and doing things wildly differently um, are, are really profiting and, and, and we're, we're seeing that again not just in the auto industry. Yeah, that's a great idea. It's simple, right? Home delivery. I mean, it's, you know, a grand car, right? If you get a, a delivery of a five pound mascara, why can't you get a delivery of 50,000 pound car, right? To your home. Makes exactly. perfect Anyway, last question from Liam. With a lot of work from home due to the current climate, how is employee development being managed and encouraged with line managers? Oh, great question. Um, there's a couple of things that, that we're doing, um, which has been so, so beneficial. Um, one is, is mentoring. Um, we are making sure that every single member of the team has a mentor that isn't their line manager, whether that's in the agency or outside the agency, because I think being able to talk about how you're feeling at work above and beyond what you're delivering at work is so, so important. Um, the second is access to training and courses has just mushroomed. I mean, normally the budget that we would give everyone to train themselves, they might get one course a year. But now through access to online courses, you can do so much more. So curating courses and being able to showcase those to our teams and giving them priority access or negotiating even cheaper rates so that their budgets that we give them to do on uh, to do training goes further has been really, really important. Um, and then the final thing is just sticking to our principles, which is everyone gets appraised at the same time every year. Um, everyone knows exactly what's happening with the business in terms of promotions and, um, and pay increases um, and just keeping that consistency and that regularity. So there's just no question marks is, is, is so important. Yeah, those are great tips. And, um, you know, CMI also has a lot of online courses available. Um, and um, I just wanted to close by thanking Jackie for this amazing, uh, always a tour de force of ideas and inspiration. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a podcast edition of Better Managers Briefing with Anne Franco, CEO of the Chartered Management Institute. CMI members can now access more content and insights around the subjects raised in this podcast through our Management Direct portal.
if you are new to CMI or yet to access our range of management and leadership resources or the other benefits of membership, please visit managers.org.uk forward slash management direct.